are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at BethanyNaz.org. Man, it's been a good Sunday already, has it not? Wow. So full. So full this morning. Hey, it's a privilege to get to be here and get to uh, preach God's Word this morning. Um, wrapping up this sermon series that we've been in in the book of James. So if you've been with us at all for the past couple weeks, you know we've been taking a journey uh, through the book of James, and God's been really speaking to us, and he's been showing us some ways in which we're, we're called and we are supposed to live. So I'm excited to be wrapping that up today. Uh, many of you know me, and, and you know that, that I'm a storyteller, right? You, you know that I love to tell stories. If, you're, if we're at dinner or if we're at a party or anywhere, you know that eventually it's going to get to this moment in which I try to tell a story. One of the things about being a storyteller is you love the ending. The ending is your favorite part. In fact, you build toward the ending. That is what a storyteller does. We, we put in details and, and we exaggerate some things and we draw out these emotions in you until we can set it up for this ending part of the story in which you're all like, wow, amazing. But one thing about being a storyteller that you just hate, I mean, it just really robs you of the moment when you're telling a story is when somebody just wants you to tell the end, right? You're trying to build up this moment. You're trying to, 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 to tell this story. And, and the truth is, is the person that you're telling this story is just like, come on, come on, let me hear the end. Let me hear the end. This morning, I feel like God has just been putting it on my heart that I have to tell the end first, I want to tell the end of this story. I want to tell how we're going to end this time together because I want God to be preparing you. I want God to be opening up your heart and your mind. And and as we open the word and as we read, I want God to be speaking to you because you know the way that we're going to end. I want God to be calling you to how we're going to end. So this passage that we read in James 5, it's actually so simple. I wrestled with it for the past couple of weeks because it is so simple. It's, it's not complicated. James means exactly what James is saying. And so we're going to end this service with prayer. We're going to create a space and an atmosphere in this place where God can show up in prayer. And I hope in my prayer, and God kind of gave me this vision of the past couple weeks of just this place down front just filled with people who are praying, who are crying out to God. And so that's what I'm going to call, it's what I'm going to ask you to do so as you listen and as you engage in this word, God can be preparing you for prayer. I told you the end first. So here we are, James chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. If you want to pull out your Bibles... You want to pull out your phone, it'll be on the screen as well, but this is what we are going to be reading this morning. So it says this, James 5, verse 13, is any among you in trouble? Is any among you in trouble? I just want that to set in for just a second. Just think about that question for just a moment. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any one of you happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Here's an example that James gives us. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And then again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Over the past couple weeks, we've been, we've been talking about who James is writing to. We've been talking about this people in this church in this time period and some of the things that they've been going through. But it's important for us to remember who James is writing to. It's important to us to know the people that are hearing this message. It's important for us to know the people that, that are receiving this information from James. And so here's a little bit of who they are. The people James and that he's writing to are people who are plagued with anxiety, worry, fear, and uncertainty. I don't know about you, but that feels a lot like us. As a society, as a culture, we, we are people that are sometimes plagued with anxiety and fear and worry and uncertainty. James was writing to people who were beginning to yield to the pressure of society. They were beginning to give in to cultural norms. They were, they were starting to say, forget it, I can't live like this. This is how I'm supposed to live. And they were beginning to give in to the pressures of money and power. I don't know about you. We're a society that loves money and loves power. And we find ourselves beginning to, to find this middle ground between what should we do, how should we operate in the world, or how should we not. There are people that are consumed by political corruption and oppression. The rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. And immorality and brokenness were at an all-time rise. Unity and love and charity in the church were beginning to break down. This is who James was talking to. The problem is, is that when I say that phrase, that this is who's, who James was talking to, we begin to think that this book was maybe written for someone else. And if we believe that it was written for someone else, we're seriously missing something. Because this book was written for us. It was written for us today, right here, 2018, August 26th. It was written to this very community. It was written to this very people. It was written directly to you and I. Do not miss the fact that this was written a long time ago for somebody else. It was written for you. And it was written for me. You see, people ask me all the time, uh, Pastor Chris, I'm trying to get into reading the Word. Where, where should I start? And I say the same answer every time. Same answer every time. I say, first you've got to go to the Gospels. You have to go to the Gospels first. You need to start in the Gospels because you have to know who Jesus is. You've got to know the, the love of Christ and the grace that he has poured out for you. You have to know who Christ is. But then the second book that I tell everybody to read is James. And people ask me all the time, why James? And I say it because he's practical. That if you are a follower of Christ, if you are in a committed relationship with Christ, then it has got to transform the way in which you live. 
It has got to change the direction of how you live. It has to change the way that you interact with people. It has to change the way in which you love people. It has to change the way in which you pray. It has to change your perspective entirely. Because you've been transformed. God has done a work in your life. And because God has done a work in your life, you are no longer the same person. So you go and you read the book of James because James is going to tell you, this is how I want you to live. This is what I want life to look like. So this morning, James asks us three questions that I want to wrestle with this morning. Three really, really important questions. And the first one is this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Is anyone among you in trouble? You know what it's like to be in trouble. I know what it's like to be in trouble. When I was in elementary, uh, elementary school, it was one Sunday, uh, we're at church, and I ended up doing something bad in elementary church, I can't remember exactly what, but I remember my Sunday school teacher had a conversation with my mom, and it was directly after Sunday school, and I remember the conversation happening, and I realized at that moment that I was going to be in trouble, right? You know that moment where it begins to sink in, like, oh no, this isn't going to go well for me? My mom looks down, gives me that little look, like, you're dead. <laughs> you are dead. And I remember like, oh no, this is going to be really bad because this is really bad. But when she tells my dad, that's going to be really bad. And so I remember leaving church and we get in the car and we're driving home and my parents are, 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 are telling me all the things that they can't believe that I did and how disappointed they are. And I'll never forget my dad said this famous line, wait till we get home. So I'm just nervous, and my stomach is just in knots, and my chest is tight, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. And we're walking up the driveway into the garage, and my dad says, go to your room, wait for me to get there, I'm going to get the belt. Now, when I said that in first service, people were like, amen. <laughs> amen. They raised him right. Swat him. I say that in this service, and you guys are like, oh my gosh. That is abuse. That is abuse. I cannot believe he did. Did he report that? I go into my room. I quickly take my jeans off. I put on three extra pairs of underwear. I put my jeans back up. I sit on my bed, and I'm like, okay. This could get bad. I'm sitting there. I remember praying like, oh, Lord, please, please don't make it hurt, you know. Ten minutes goes by. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, man, ten whole minutes. He's, like, getting pumped up in there. Like, he's, like, he's like listening to, like, some song to get him excited. Like, I don't know. Thirty minutes goes by. Nothing. I'm like really getting worried, like, man, this is bad. Like him and my mom, they are talking about this. They're like, he needs nine spankings or he needs 30 or, you know, maybe it's only three. They're like trying to decide how bad it's going to be. An hour goes by. Nothing. By this point, I'm like putting my ear to the door. I'm like, I don't hear any commotion out there. I'm like cracking the door open, like looking down the hallway, trying to figure out like, when is this going to happen? But nothing. I shut the door and I go back. So now I'm kind of starting to think, well, maybe, maybe he forgot. Maybe, maybe I'm going to be good, so, but, I, but I don't know. So it's seriously been two hours I have sat quietly in my room waiting for my punishment. 
waiting to get in trouble. And I open the door and I creep into the hallway and I'm looking around like, where's my dad? I don't hear anything. And, and so I walk down the hallway and I go to his room and I peek in, sound asleep. <laughs> sound asleep. I'm no more getting a spanking. I, there was no way I was getting a spanking. My dad was sound asleep. But we know what it's like to be in trouble. We know what it's like to be in trouble. Last night I was going over my message with Hannah like I always do. And uh, I was talking to Hannah and I was going through this part of trouble. And, and she said, you know what, if I can be honest with you, I, I think you're preaching it a little soft. I was like, ooh, truth bomb. She said, I think you're preaching it a little soft. Because I think you're missing the fact and you're forgetting the fact that if there is any group of people that knows what trouble is like, it is this group of people sitting in this room right now. And we begin to go through a list of people that we have been praying for for months, some of those people years. And if there is any community in church body that knows what it's like to be in trouble, it's this one. We know that we have people that we love so deeply who are traveling back and forth for cancer treatments. We're praying for We know people in this community who have suddenly lost a loved one that was so tragic that we're praying for. We know that there are people in this community who are going through a divorce, where there are people in this community that very few know the things that they are struggling with and the things that they are trying to work through as a family. If there is any church that knows what trouble is, it's us. So this morning, James asked us this question, and I'm going to ask you the same question. Is anyone among us in trouble? And James says... Let them pray. Let them pray. Is life uncertain? Do you have a bad relationship? Is there anxiety and depression that's robbing you of your freedom? Are you and a friend on the rocks? Do you have a mountain of debt in front of you? Is your marriage off? When you lay down to bed at night, is your marriage off? Are you in a relationship that you know you probably shouldn't be in? That it's probably time for you to end that relationship to have the courage to move on? Are you in trouble? Have you lost someone you love? Has life not gone the way you expect it? Sometimes the problem with trouble, really, really deep trouble, is we begin to convince ourselves and lie to ourselves that we're only in this situation because of something really bad that has happened, and then that God is so distant that we're in such deep trouble that God doesn't care, that God is not there. James says, when you're in trouble, let them pray. The next question James asks us, it's so simple, and it just says, is anyone among you happy? And i got to be honest this morning that for some reason in the writing of my message, the happiness was the hardest part for me. Is anyone among you happy? I wanted to scream out, James, you know who you're writing to. You know that people aren't very happy. You know that there is a situation taking place that is such oppressiveness, and there are things going on in their life that they don't even know how to deal with, and you're asking the question, is any among you happy? But the point that James is trying to make here is this. 
that all the way from trouble to happiness and everything in between, we find moments in which we pray. From trouble to happiness, God calls us to pray. The next question that James asks us, is anyone among you sick? Is anyone among you sick? I remember a few years ago, uh, I was at camp, and I was leading Oklahoma District Camp, and, and I'll never forget, I was, I was in my hotel room, and, and all of a sudden I picked up my phone because my phone was ringing, it was my brother. And I was like, man, my brother knows that I'm at camp. It's a little weird that he'd, he'd call me at this time. And, and my brother called me, so I'm like, hello? And he goes, hey, do you have a minute? And I go, yeah, I got a minute. What's up? He goes, I got to tell you something. And it's pretty important. He said, I got to tell you that I've been diagnosed with testicular cancer. You know, and, and as a pastor, I, I hear things like that all the time. I hear families that go through things like that all the time, and, and I, I understand that those things are out there and it's a possibility, and I also recognize the fact that those are things that I will probably have to deal with in my own family or maybe even my own personal life at some point, but there's no way that you prepare yourself. There's no way that you're prepared for when that conversation comes. My brother begins to tell me that, hey, I've been diagnosed with testicular cancer. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I don't know what we're going to do from here, but I wanted to tell you. And I began to sit on my bed and I talked to him about all the pastoral things that I could think of to say in that moment, you know, God will heal you. I believe that God will heal you. And we're just going to start praying from this point forward. Over the next couple weeks, we, we didn't really know exactly what was, what was going to take place. But here's what I do know. That this church, this body showed up. Over the next couple weeks, we were bombarded with encouraging text messages, phone calls, encouraging notes. People were praying for our family. They were praying for my brother. Social media was blowing up. There were literally thousands of people who I knew that were gathered in prayer for specifically for my brother. And when I think of this passage, is any among you sick? Gather the elders together, anoint them with oil, and cover them with prayer. And let me tell you, that's exactly what happened. My family was covered in prayer. There was nobody not praying for us. I remember this really important moment for me. It was right before he was going to go back for his emergency surgery. And, and he's sitting there, and, and he's in the hospital bed, and, and they're getting him prepped and ready. And I'm in the back, and all of a sudden, I look over, and five men walk into the room in single file. And they surround, and they pack into this little area in which my brother is sitting, and it's me and five other men, all of which were full-time pastors in ministry. And I remember Pastor Rick leading a prayer for my brother. And I'm sitting there holding the hands of these men who have given their life to the Lord and given their life to the ministry. And I thought to myself, James 5 got it right. Gather the elders of the church and pray for healing. Pray for those who are sick. What a beautiful picture that I will never forget. A little bit later into the story, 
I send it off to pathology. The whole church is praying. We don't know what's going to happen. My brother's doctor decides to send his report and his labs up to a doctor in Indiana, the same doctor who dealt with Lance Armstrong. The doctor told my brother, he said, look, this is a shot in the dark. The chance that he'll look at these are, are, are virtually none, but I thought, why not give it a try? The doctor picked up the phone and called my brother's doctor and said, do not lay a hand on that boy. My brother was scheduled for three months of radiation and chemo with the intent of doing three months after that. He said, I want to see him. I want to fly him up here to Indiana. I want him to do all of his lab and testing right here. So my brother jumps on a plane and he flies to Indiana. They do all the testing. A few days later, the doctor calls him. And he said, there will be no chemo and there will be no radiation for you in this treatment. There is not a single ounce of cancer in any of your bodies. We will not be doing that. Amen. 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 And I look at this moment... And I have to step back and I go, you know, I don't know why God chooses to heal. And I don't want to even get into a conversation like that this morning. But what I do know is this. That James says, if anyone is sick among you, gather the church together and pray. And I do know this. Here are the facts you prayed. You prayed so much. You continued to pray. You would have continued to pray regardless of the outcome. And so this morning I ask you this question. Is anyone among you sick? Are you feeling weak? Is your body beginning to break down? Do you have to wake up and go to bed in pain? Is sickness consuming your thoughts? Is your energy down? Is your sickness debilitating you? Do you know anybody else around you that is in this situation? James says, pray. There's another point that James makes that I like in verse 19. And it's a point that I think I want to bring to your attention this morning because I, I think you're going to find yourself in this same situation. James talks about those who have wandered away. He talks about if anybody has wandered away, and I love the way the message says it. He says this, go and get them. Go and get them. And I am convinced of the fact that you and I know so many people in our lives, in our family units. We've got kids and grandkids and friends and co-workers who we know who have wandered away. We know that they have taken a path that they, they probably shouldn't be on. We know that they're headed in a direction that they probably shouldn't go. And I love that James says, he says, look, church, you've got to go and get them. You've got to bring them back into the fold of community. And so this morning, I want us to pray for people who have wandered away. I want us to pray for people who have slipped away, who have gotten on a different path that they are headed towards. I believe so deeply in the power of Christ. I believe with everything in me that praying people still pray in 
miracles. I believe it happens. Some people talk about how they don't see miracles anymore. That they don't see Jesus at work anymore. And I just want to say to them, if you've spent any time in the body of Christ, because we are one broken, messed up group of people, aren't we? Boy, we are messed up. And yet God continues to show up. And he continues to take our broken pieces. And he begins to put them back together. And he begins to make them new. And he begins to make them whole. And I look at this group and I look at my own life and I say, we are in trouble. We know what trouble is. We know what it looks like. We know what it feels like. God says, pray to me. Bring it to me. We know what happiness feels like. We know that there are seasons that we go through in which we can recognize that the joy and the blessing comes from the Lord. And we live in those seasons. And James says, in those seasons, sing songs of praise. Just let Him hear it. Give Him your thankfulness and your faithfulness in those seasons. Pray. We know what it's like to be sick. And we know what it's like to walk with people who are ill and who are suffering. Jesus says, pray. We know what it's like to have people walked away and wandered off from the faith, headed in a direction that we know leads to destruction, and you've got a story, and you've got the grace to bring them back into the fold, and so we've got to pray for those people. We don't stop praying for those people. We keep praying regardless of the outcome, regardless of if we don't see the results that we want to see, regardless of if we think that it didn't go the way that we think it should have gone. We pray. So this morning, I want to create an atmosphere in here. I want to create a place of vulnerability and safety in this place in which you feel the freedom to not leave anything said undone, to come down here and find yourself on your knees buried your face in this altar giving it all to God praying with everything that you have because James says the prayer of a righteous person will be heard and I am a standing witness that there are righteous people in this church I am a standing witness that righteous people have prayed for my brother and I have seen healing happen and what would it look like if us as righteous people stood together and we prayed trouble, for happiness, for sickness, and for those who have wandered off. If any one of us is in trouble, we are all in trouble. If any one of us is happy, we all celebrate. If any one of us is sick, we're all sick. If any one of us has wandered, we are not whole. So this morning, I invite you to pray. If you stand and pray, I want people to gather around you and pray together. I want you to find a space in this altar. But here's the thing. Nobody prays alone. Because James didn't write this book for an individual. He wrote it for a community of believers. So nobody prays alone. We are all one. We are a body of Christ. So we pray together. Father, will you come? Will you move us? Will you give us the boldness to pray prayers? Pray prayers of healing. Pray prayers of faithfulness. To pray prayers in which only you can do something miraculous in us. 
Give us the courage to come and bow at our knees, our face before you, and lay it all on the line. God, I believe that you still do miracles. I believe you're still in the business of miracles. You are who you say you are. You are a healer. You are a protector. You are the one who guides us. You are the one who is faithful to us. And all you do is ask us to come and to pray. And so, Lord, we're going to do that today. Lord, create a space right here where we can be faithful to you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.